there's something wonderful about being a woman, a strong, opinionated woman who knows what makes her happy and being able to say, okay, my life is changing, I've gone through transition, I'm okay, I'm okay, and I'm coming through the other side. That was TV presenter, producer and podcast host of It Can't Just Be Me, Anna Richardson. Anna shares so much in this conversation, from managing the mental health impacts of the menopause to the joy of being a queenager, her spiritual practices and what led her to train as a cognitive hypnotherapist. I truly hope you enjoy hearing from Anna as much as I love speaking with her. On a slightly different note to usual, I wanted to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to all of I Am I Have's guests and listeners. This is my last episode of I Am I Have and it has been a total pleasure and privilege. Thank you. However, don't go anywhere. Stay subscribed because new podcast content from Happyful will be winging its way to you later this year and I can't wait to listen to. For the final time, this is I Am I Have from Happyful. I'm producer and host Lucy Donoghue and here is the magnificent Anna Richardson. I'm delighted to share that we have the wonderful producer, presenter, journalist, mental health advocate and qualified cognitive hypnotherapist Anna Richardson with us on I Am I Have today. Anna, welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And I'm so excited to have you on today. We have got some brilliant I Ams to talk about. And when they came through, I just thought this is going to be a good conversation. They tickle you, Lucy. They they did tickle me in many ways, and I can't wait to (laughs) to dig deep. But before we start, we ask everyone who comes on to tell us a bit about themselves in their own words. So can you share with us what you think our listeners should know about you? Um, I would say that I'm just like everybody else. I am a fellow sufferer, a fellow struggler. I'm an ordinary 52-year-old woman who just happens to have um, an extraordinary job that I love. So I am a producer, I'm a presenter, I do a lot of shows for Channel 4 and through my journey with mental health I'm also a qualified cognitive hypnotherapist and that's me. It's fascinating that you you also qualified as a, a cognitive hypnotherapist and that's something I would love to talk to you more about but before we start any of that I'm delighted that you're bringing out a new podcast. I was so happy when I was approached to do this podcast. So the podcast is called It Can't Just Be Me. And effectively, it's brought to an apex apex all of my experience in terms of doing uh, transformation shows and all all of the therapy that I've had and the fact that that I'm a hypnotherapist. And it's it's an advice podcast. So really, it's a kind of, um, it's a sort of agony aunt column brought to life and we have a different guest who uh, leaves as a voice note every week with a particular dilemma and myself a psychotherapist and a celebrity basically give them advice tell them what what we think Um, and it's a really revealing interesting show with a sort of celebrity heart um, at at the very centre of it you know the celebrity story at the heart of it but also just through that we're able to give our listener the advice that they need as well. So it's, it's quite quite a confessional sharing podcast. It's lovely. 
And I love the concept of it just, it can't just be me because so many of us feel in our life that it is just us. But the minute we start talking, and we find this on this podcast, the minute we start talking about anything from mental health to something we might find embarrassing to menopause to different symptoms, suddenly we realize that actually we're not alone and that other people are going through it and they're having the sticky or non-sticky moments that we are too. Why is it important for you for it to feel that kind of confessional and sharing type of podcast? I mean, you know, anyway, with your experience in mental health, that there is a need to share that isolation and feeling alone is going to make our issues and our dilemmas and our, our mental health issues worse. So it's important to me because it's about sharing and it's about connecting. And I have that that core belief anyway, that we are all connected energetically and what you think has an impact so yeah it's important to me a, 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 about the idea of transformation and help and connection that's great make sure that you follow that podcast I, I genuinely cannot wait to listen and let's kick off with your first I am which is I am learning to embrace life as a queenager love this it's such a brilliant word queenager and it's such a, an interesting period in 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 a woman's life so I'm 52 I am fully menopausal and there's a lot that, that that's been spoken about at the moment about about the menopause and, and rightly so rightly so I personally have found it and I'm finding it a very difficult period of my life it's a very challenging period of my life so one's late 40s and, and going into your 50s for a woman when you you start to have that hormonal shift is extremely difficult. I know that, that some women will talk about the fact that uh, they find the menopause easy, um, but I think for the majority of, of people, it's, it, it's not, and it's, it's very challenging. So for me, I started to feel quite anxious and overwhelmed, and I know a lot about the menopause, and fortunately, I, I know a lot of mental health professionals, so I was able to go and explore how I was feeling with, with various people. But I, I felt dreadful. So anxious, depressed. I toyed with a lot of HRT. Um, I've had a lot of therapy. I am still on HRT. But it's been tough because it it brings you face to face with the second half of your life. It brings you face to face with the end of your fertility. And for me, it's brought me um, face to face with the fact that I don't have children and I don't have my, my family and that I'm never going to be able to do that naturally. But the embracing part of um, being a queenager because obviously when you're a teenager you start your periods as a queenager it's the end of your end of your periods and the second half of your life but the embracing bit is the wonderful aspect of being able to say fuck it you know I, I kind of I hope that we're able to say that on happy before but but the kind of fuck it attitude of I'm older I know what I'm about I know what my values are I know what my beliefs are I, I know who I am and I'm unafraid of being that person. And um, there's something wonderful about being a woman, a strong, opinionated woman who knows what makes her happy and being able to say, OK, my life is changing. I've gone through transition, but fuck it. I'm OK. I'm OK. And I'm coming through the other side. That's wonderful. And so many people listening to this will be cheering you on because they will be feeling exactly the same. I know as someone who's in perimenopause, there is that confronting element of it where you're holding a number of things together, which is, you know, like you said, the end of your fertility. I also don't have children. So knowing that that's not part of my future. 
also knowing that I have experience behind me that is valuable and I am valuable with that experience and that life experience. And it, it can be quite difficult, can't it, to hold those two things together and the the balance of the anxiety sometimes or the, the concern about what your life looks like. On the flip side, there is that kind of feeling of relief that you are where you are and you have more a sense of yourself. How have you managed those two parts of this transition? It's it's really difficult. It's really difficult because, you know, as, as you rightly say, you're, you're a perimenopausal woman. We are confronted by ageing. We are confronted by our fertility. We are confronted by dying parents and the fact that we are then taking on a parenting role with them. I, I think it's it's a transition in our lives that, that no one has really spoken about enough, certainly not historically, and just how difficult and challenging it can be. Just physically, the change in hormones affects our mental health, physically how we feel about it about ourselves and yet and yet there is that as you say that the other side which is knowing ourselves having the wisdom being unafraid to um, confront and to challenge and actually being unafraid to have some fun now so how, how do I balance it I balance those two parts with good psychotherapy and good hypnotherapy and good mindfulness as well, actually. It's just checking in with yourself every day and just thinking, you know, where, where do I feel today? And and actually, I feel challenged or I feel that my confidence is being hit, but but I'm OK. I'm OK. I'm on my journey and I'm I'm coming through the other side of it. I think is probably how I how I manage it. And that's wonderful to hear that you're implementing obviously psychotherapy and hypnotherapy, and it's something you're massively passionate about. What would you say to other people who perhaps are just starting on that journey? Because I I do think it's you need to be consistently, like you said, checking in with yourself and actually working with someone else can maybe get you into the habit of interrogating gently. How am I feeling? I mean, for me, it's been anger. I quite often feel quite angry and I really have to kind of talk to myself about what is it? Why am I angry? What has prompted this feeling in me? So tell us more. Do you know, but but I just want to sort of pick you up on that because I, I find anger really interesting. We're very ashamed of anger, I think, certainly in this country, in our culture, that we're told, and especially as women, you are not to be angry. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me in that tone of voice. Don't raise your voice, whatever it happens to be. Anger is a natural emotion. Uh, anger, anger is a normal emotion. And actually, as long as it's not harming other people, it's not getting out of hand. Anger can be incredibly healthy and it also elicits change. Anger is a prompting, motivating emotion. So I, I really question it that, that, you know, when we say I'm really struggling with my anger and I shouldn't express myself. I struggle with that and I identify with, with, with what you're saying because I think anger brings change in life. So don't do yourself down with the whole anger thing. But in terms of my advice to other people, I think that, that we should all be having therapy, whatever that therapy looks like for you, whether it's counselling, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it's hypnotherapy, whether it is just doing you know a mindfulness course, whether it's working with a shaman, whether it's whatever, or even just having acupuncture, However that looks, I think everybody should be doing it in the same way that we check in with our GP if we're feeling a bit off, or you go and see the dentist if your teeth are a little bit dodgy. We should be checking in with ourselves mentally as much as we are physically. So I would encourage anybody to, if they are struggling with um, certain emotions or life transitions, 
go and speak to a therapist. Have that other person who's there to hold your hand. Now, interestingly, I mean, you and I obviously know, know a great deal about therapy and that there's a billion different therapists out there, but it, it really depends on what it is you need. If you are struggling, for example, with bereavement, then it might be that you need somebody just to hold you a little bit more, just, just hold that space with you. But at the same time, you may be stuck in certain patterns, which we all are, and in which case you may need to be challenged in your thinking. I quite like confronting, challenging therapy. I've had the same psychotherapist for a number of years, actually. She's she seen me through various different life, life transitions. But what I love about her is that she's unafraid to challenge me and to let me know when uh, that my pattern of behaviour is out of order or whether my judgmental thinking just needs to be challenged or indeed if I'm hard on myself, whether that needs to be challenged. So I, I prefer that kind of that kind of psychotherapy. But really everybody, everybody, I believe, should be checking in with, with another person, a stranger, a qualified stranger, who can just take in the story that they're telling themselves and can help them to challenge it and change it into, into a healthier, better version. I love hearing that from you because it is that thing of, you, you said a qualified stranger, it is that thing of talking to somebody who has that objectivity, those qualifications, obviously, but who is able to see you from, from an outside perspective. And as you said, you're with your psychotherapist for a number of years, so they know you more, but it's not like with a friend or a family member who will want to make you feel better. I think that's the thing. Yeah. And we do that with our friends as well, don't we? We want we want them to feel better. And I love the way that you normalize because for a lot of people, it doesn't feel normal. Therapy and hypnotherapy and all of those kind of things. And it strikes me that normalizing talking about ourselves and our bodies and how we feel is something else that's really important to you. It, it really is. And, and I wonder, you know, I often reflect on why is it so important to me? And it, it might have something to do with my upbringing. So I, I was, my father was, was a vicar. He's retired now. Um, and my mother was an RE teacher. And so I was brought up in a very busy, very open vicarage environment and very much a heart of, you know, a part of and part of the community. And our door as a vicarage, our door was open to everybody. So it might be that the bishop would turn up or it might be a beggar, you know, at, at two ends of the extreme. You know, people who were getting married or somebody that's bereaved. So I think that I'm interested in people's stories. I'm curious about people. Um, and I'm also interested in in a sense of shame, because much as we embraced people coming through our, our door, my parents were in a very unhappy marriage. And I think there was a sense of shame around that. And I was certainly told as a child that I shouldn't talk about my emotions or we shouldn't talk about uh, how we're feeling or what's going on at home. And I felt very isolated and alone. So I think that that's informed me as an adult to be curious about other people's lives and stories, but also to remove the stigma of shame, that there's no reason why I can't say that I'm pissed off about something. There's no reason why I can't own the fact that, you know, whatever it is, you know, I might have an issue with with eating too much. I eat my feelings or 
you know, whatever. So I, I enjoy in my broadcasting career transformational shows where I encourage people to own their shame and to tell themselves a different story and show the fact that, that change, change is absolutely possible. When we talk and when we show and when we represent what that shame is, we can start to have conversations that dissipate the shame. And your next I am is I'm curious, which we've we've talked about a little bit already. But throughout your career, you really have opened up conversations that perhaps some of us would shy away from. So from you just mentioned perhaps eating your feelings and how we use food. Obviously, Naked Attraction has been one of your shows where people talk very openly about bodies and what they like and what they don't like and sexually what their preferences are. And you now have Naked Education coming up as well. Talk to me about curiosity and the body and how we talk about our body. Do you know, I think that, that again, possibly this goes back to, like all things, you know, when, when we were kids, when I was little. And I can remember being probably about seven years old and there was, there was a knock on the vicarage door and this chap turned up who'd come to see my dad and he was blind. And my dad was busy, so just briefly. So I took him into, into the front room and I sat with him until my dad was ready and I, I can very distinctly remember saying to him, because, you know, he explained to me that he couldn't see and, and that, that he had lost his vision. And so I said to him, well, shall I describe to you what I see? And can I, can I touch you? Perhaps you can feel my hands and you can feel my face. This is, this, is, this is what I look like. But let me tell you what our room looks like. And we have this amazing conversation, this little girl and this older blind chap, just sort of helping each other out with curiosity. So I'm curious about other people's lives. I'm curious about their story. I'm curious about how they experience and do their lives. And so again, yeah, that's, that's informed the work that I do. And with Naked Education, we're on a quest really with, with that show to remove again, the stigma of shame around how we might feel about ourselves. Now that will manifest within our bodies. But people, people will talk about how when they were little, they were bullied for being too tall or too fat or too skinny. Or maybe there was abuse within their family or anger within their family, whatever it happens to be. And that plays out in our bodies, doesn't it? So we're on a, on, on a quest, if you like, to encourage everybody to accept that this is the body you've got. So get comfortable with it and celebrate what it is you have warts and all because what's interesting is even if you feel okay with your body as we age your body changes so we're all going to be confronted with um disability and not being able to do stuff actually so this this is this is a show for everybody that you know we're all going to struggle at some point with our physicality so embrace it talk about it and and share and celebrate what you've got so important. And it goes back to, to the conversation about being a queenager as well, doesn't it? Because one of the things that can be quite shocking is energy levels and also aches and pains. And it, it, oh, it kind of comes from nowhere. And I think a lot of women think there's something wrong in a different way because it's so it's such a marked change. So your point about the fact that our bodies change throughout our lives, the more we become accepting of that, 
the more we can manage those changes as they happen. A hundred percent. And, you know, we, we, we do rail, don't we, against the dying of the light. We, we, we do struggle so much with, with change in our lives. We know that. And that's what can cause a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety is, is, is the inability, if, if you like, to embrace and cope with change. So I think you're, you're, you're right that, that we need to embrace it, but easier said than done. And again, I, I think just, just going back to the naked education thing, even if, if people think, well, hang on, I haven't had kids, I, you know, so what do I care about uh, women with cesarean scars or mastectomy scars or, you know, I haven't, I haven't had breast cancer or I'm not a transgender man, so why do I care? The reason it's important is because that very fact of you might be fine now, but we are aging. You are on that journey. So your body is going to change. And that is challenging in itself. So we need to accept it and we need to embrace it. And also that empathy with other people that their changes might be different to our changes. But actually, the more we understand about it, the more we can offer kindness to ourselves and to each other, because it's much easier to do that when you have an open mind. Well, do, do you know, one of the most extraordinary stories on naked education comes from uh, this little boy who, who came on the show and he's nine years old. Two years ago, he uh, was at school, didn't feel very well and ended up in hospital, being rushed to hospital and ended up with meningitis, ended up in a coma, in intensive care with sepsis and consequently lost all his limbs. So went from being a fully able-bodied child to being a quadriplegic. So now he is two years later, he's nine years old and this incredible kid is a quadriplegic in his wheelchair learning to cope with life. And we introduced him to um, a, a, another chap who is in his 30s, I believe, and a few years ago, caught a virus, was fully able-bodied, caught a virus, and again, ended up in intensive care and ended up losing his limbs through sepsis and is another quadriplegic. That exchange between this little boy and this, and this adult, both of whom have experienced such a traumatic event of losing all four limbs, it is one of the most remarkable things that I've ever witnessed as a journalist. And the joy of it was this this man, this, this older guy called Alex, explaining to this little boy, I'm a better person for what I've been through. And actually, I have embraced the change. I have climbed mountains in my wheelchair. I have jumped out of aeroplanes. I've campaigned to help people that are in the same situation as this. And actually, what you don't realise is you are so rare, you are really special. And it was an extraordinary way of someone reframing the trauma that they've been through and saying, look at me, I'm better for it. And it, 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 it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever filmed. I can imagine that was really powerful to, to witness, but also for the young boy to be able to see an older version of himself. We need to see and hear from other people who are experiencing what we are because our circumstances might be different, but we're not alone. And by speaking to people who are going through a similar thing, it can really give some power to our experience, can't it? Absolutely. And, and, and that, that is the joy of the podcast. It can't just be me. Is that, you know, the, the, the central tenet is you are not alone. Whatever you are going through, there is somebody else out there that really gets it and understands. And we work very hard 
to put a little panel together of people that have been through something similar. So, you know, whether it's our celebrity guest that has, has, has suffered it in the same way, perhaps it's infertility, perhaps it's coming out later in life, perhaps it's grief, but we also have a psychotherapist there as well to really give that concrete professional advice. So we act as a little sort of, yeah, as I say, a kind of friendly confessional, which is a safe space where we can help each other out. Wonderful. And I was just still thinking about that little boy. I know, you know. Honestly, I know. Going back to going back to that 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 little boy, it was just amazing how Alex, the, the, our, our adult, was saying, "I now campaign and work with universities on technology to help us, you know, recreate our limbs, our mechanical limbs, and all the incredible things that I can do that actually able-bodied people can't do." Yeah. And this is what you, this is what you've got to look forward to here. And I, I think that's that's a central message for us all, isn't it? Is we're all fellow sufferers, we're all fellow strugglers, and periods of transition and difficulty are are inevitably going to be difficult because you're giving birth to something to something new, and hopefully something better. So yeah, that that really I'd say is is, is the message for you know a lot of the shows that that I end up doing. And it's also something that speaks to your third I am, which is that you're excited about the idea of transformation. Transformation seems to be something that you are really, really invested in. And you said we all have the ability to change our reality. And it's also what drove you to qualify as a cognitive hypnotherapist. So tell me about that transformation to to cognitive hypnotherapist. Well, you'll, you'll know yourself any, anyway at, at Happithall and, you know, with the amazing guests that, that you've had on the podcast, they've said about the ability that we all have to transform, but sometimes we just don't know how to do it. So the reason that I became so interested in this came during a period of filming that, that I was doing um, when I was presenting a show called Super Size Super Skinny a few years ago for Channel 4. And as a journalist, I was charged with trying a different diet every week and to report back. And this one particular week, we were sent to go and film with Marissa Peer, who I know has been a guest on your show. I've co-written a book with Marissa. She is a wonderful hypnotherapist and therapist and, and a friend. She's an amazing woman. But at the time, I didn't know Marissa. And we were sent to go and film with her. And I can remember standing outside her house with the crew going, what a load of bollocks. <laughs> this, is what? This, this is absolutely ridiculous. This will be a laugh. Let's go in. Four hours later, I came out feeling quite stunned. And Marissa, through hypnosis, had taken me back to a scene in my life that I had to- never thought about, totally forgotten, where I was four years old. And my mum had been taken into hospital very, very suddenly, which was very unwell. And for a four-year-old child to wake up in the morning and their mother's gone and they are ill, they are in hospital for for a period of time, it's very traumatising. So to try and and help me cope with my grief, if you like, and and, and the trauma, my dad just, just fed me, just fed me and my brother. Just, you know, just overfed, just gave us loads of food to try and make us feel better. And, he you know, he was panicking and sort of go, what do I do with these children? I know, I'll give them chips. Everyone loves chips. So my mum says that as I was going in to see her um, every day, I was just getting fatter and fatter. Um, and I was very anxious about her because I was worried about why she was in hospital. So I suddenly, through hypnosis, made the connection 
that when I was very little, I used food as a coping mechanism. And what Marissa very cleverly was able to do was to say, you're not four, you're an adult. You don't need to do that anymore. There's a better way of being. You can be whoever you want to be and you can look however you want to look. And that message was so powerful. It, it was extraordinary. So that really led me into my journey of um, excitement about all of our ability to change and transform. And off the back of that, actually, a few years later, I ended up um, doing a, a course at the Quest Institute um, to qualify as a cognitive hypnotherapist because I, I believe in the power of hypnosis so much. I know that you can have rapid change from, you know, one or two sessions of, of, of hypnotherapy. So, yeah, I, I went and did my course with Quest and, and qualified as, as a cognitive hypnotherapist. And I love learning as, as well. But again, you know, the central message is we are all capable of change. We just need to, to tap into the resources within ourselves and to be shown, have our hands held and shown how to do it. That's fascinating that you were cynical before you went in and the transformation oh, yeah. that took place. Um, and as you said, Marissa Peer has has been on this podcast and I've read a lot of the stuff she's done. And there is that fantastic dialogue about what happened to you when you were a child and where you're at now. And it is that story that we tell ourselves and the reframing of that story is absolutely fascinating. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, you, you'll know anyway. And, um, you know, fans of Marissa and, and, and list, uh, listeners to, to Happyfield will know that Marissa's mantra is I am enough. And in hypnosis, I, I just remember her words of her explaining to me that when you're a baby, you're born, you're born perfect. You you have everything that, that, that you need. And, and if you are if you're hungry, you cry. And when you've had enough, you stop. And it's only as we get older and the experiences that we go through that, that messes with that mechanism. Um, so she just gently reminds you that we are all enough. And we have it within ourselves to to accept that and to be enough. Um, so it's it's really it really is quite quite an extraordinary message that that everything every struggle that we have comes down to one or two things, which is I don't feel worthy, I am not loved, I am not good enough, basically. And certainly through hypnosis and, and psychotherapy, you learn that those things are just not true. We are loved. We are good enough. And it's just about, in a sense, us forgiving ourselves, if you like, and understanding that. But look, it's not easy. It's a battle, isn't it? Because life is so hard that we will automatically revert to our, our old uh, subconscious patterns of, oh, this is my fault. I'm not good enough. I wasn't picked for that job or I'm not thin enough or whatever it happens to be. We, we start to blame ourselves. So it's just about learning getting that toolkit together and learning that, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. You just have to accept that you're okay, actually, and you are good enough and you are loved. I mean, that's fundamentally the message, isn't it, that we do need to keep on saying to ourselves, because as you said, life can knock us off course. But if we can stick to that and come back to that and also work with people who can really reinforce that for us. Yes. Um, that's really important. And I would love to know how your training and the fact that you love to learn has influenced the work that you've done since you were qualified. 
without question, my training has been invaluable in terms of understanding people better. And perhaps, I mean, I've always been compassionate and I've always been curious, as you know, but I think that now I'm, I'm, I'm in a better position to be able to, to help um, and to really listen with a compassionate ear um, and to try and guide people towards a solution. But trained or not, I, I, I think fundamentally what we're missing in our society and what we need to grow more really is, is, is our ability to listen to people. We don't listen enough. We're too busy, aren't we, trying to butt in with, with our own, well, you know, yes, no, I know what you mean, because this has happened to me. And, you know, I think we've, we've lost that, that ability just to sit and to really listen to what somebody else is saying. And sometimes just that act of, of listening and that, and that person speaking is enough to make them feel better. Absolutely. I mean, 100% that ability to, to be heard is so important and can be the crux of a lot of issues is, is feeling voiceless or feeling invisible. Yeah. I absolutely agree on listening and, and being heard. I'm excited because we're going to go on to your I have, which is from transformation to exploration. And you say, I have a need to explore my spiritual self. This is something I would love for you to tell us about. And it's really interesting that that kind of you telling us that you grew up within a, a religious household and, and the way that spirituality still speaks to you now in different ways. Yeah. And I'm sort of conscious of the fact that this is not to everybody's taste. Um, it can be a very divisive topic, but I mean, you, you phrased that very beautifully, the idea that I've gone from transformation to exploration. A, a lot of this is, 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 again, informed by my childhood. I was brought up in um, a, a Christian household. I don't uh, necessarily sub subscribe to Christianity, but I have a huge respect for it. But ever since I was very small, I felt connected. I felt connected to, if you like, a, a higher power. I felt that there was something beyond me. Um, I felt very aware of, of, of spirit. I have, think I've seen um, um, ghosts. And so I'm just very aware of the fact that we are connected. And, and actually, when, when we were little, myself and my brothers, because we our house was, was on a graveyard, we when we were digging in the garden, we used to dig up human bones from, from the plague years. Uh, because our our um, church was was a medieval church, and we'd be like, "Dad, we've got another skull." And my dad would be like, "Okay, I, you know, I've got to now rebury and re-sanctify all these things." So I just, I know, I know, it was kind of like a sort of monster household. But I do feel very sort of spiritually connected, um, and as as part of of that exploration, weirdly, in the shows that I've done. Um, I've been very involved in, in shows around sort of, you know, psychics and spiritualists. I, I years ago, worked with um, a well-known psychic called Sally Morgan. So I found Sally and produced Sally's first show for ITV. And the ability, whatever you, you, you call it, um, her ability to sort of tap into people uh, whether it's a psychic ability, whether it's telepathy, or whether it's just reading someone's energy, I don't know. But I witnessed quite extraordinary things whilst working on, on that series. 
So I'm ju- I just feel aware that that we are more than we perhaps think we are on on this earth. I work with, uh, recently I've started working with a shaman. So in particular, a a female shaman called Anna Hunt, um, who works within London, used to be a journalist, has been on her shamanic journey and is now, you know, fully lives as a shaman. And again, it's all about this idea of energy and the fact that we can change, we can transform our energy for the better. Uh, So I've done various shamanic rituals with Anna which have been quite you know transformational so I'm, I'm I'm curious I have a need to be spiritually connected and I will go off into my own little sort of space quite often and just converse with the angels for want of a better want of a better phrase and my my partner I'm quite curious at the moment about Nietzsche in Buddhism and my partner is a Nietzsche in Buddhist and he chants twice a day the phrase Namia Horenge Kyo, which is, is is supposed to sort of resonate with the universe, if you like, and, and bring about our own sort of Buddhahood. He can tell you far more about it than me. But I'm I'm interested in the idea that the idea of karma, if you like, and, and what you put out energetically, you 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 get back. And I mean we know that, don't we? I mean just the sort of basic stuff of if you go into work in a really sort of bad mood and you're a bit arsy with somebody, then they're going to be arsy back. So, you know, if you put out a different energy, then you're going to get something better back. I mean, that's a very long-winded, a sort of boring way of saying I am I am very interested in the divine and I'm interested in the spiritual. I don't think it's long-winded or anything of the sort. I think it's fascinating. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, holding two things at the same time. You know, you can you can be someone who totally believes in the power of psychotherapy and understands that hypnotherapy can be useful on a day to day basis. But that doesn't mean you can't make room and, and space in your life for working with a shaman or explore, exploring spirituality. I think you're right that there can be that that tension. And we used to have sort of quite a lot of heated debate um, within our, our hypnotherapy group around around this. And the idea that we we hold it within, uh, the ability within to be able to transform. So therefore, why on earth would you um, either speak to a psychic or work with a shaman because you're then, ha- or, or believe in religion, because then you're handing over that autonomy to something else. But I, I believe the two can exist. Mm. And that, that certainly in terms of, you know, shamanic medicine, uh, it's energy healing. It's it's about energy, and you know, just fundamentally going back to what you put out, you receive. I think I think the two can exist perfectly happily. I think they really can. And I think it's very much about that being open minded and trying different things. And yes, whatever works, right? Whatever floats your boat, whatever works for you. But but let's share it. Let's talk to each other about it. Let's not, you know, keep those practices to ourselves. It it might it might resonate with you. It might not. You know, for some people, psychics give them a huge amount of comfort. I've certainly seen that. Conversations with psychics have have transformed someone's feelings about a loved one dying. For other people, it might be something they don't want to go near. Uh, 100%. And, and again, I'm fully aware that it, it can be a very divisive conversation. I get that. But again, having having worked as a producer with psychics, 
they will tell me that, you know, they offer comfort. They're a spiritual therapist, if you like. And for me, I just think whatever works. If you wish to go and consult a psychic because you're struggling, you know, with, with your relationship or work or whatever it happens to be, fine, as long as you feel better at the end of that, that process. Equally, you know, I would say go and see a psychotherapist if you're struggling. You know, you, you are learning to believe that change is possible. So for me, I'm, as I say, I'm curious and I'm open and whatever works. Exactly. I just imagine this beautiful toolbox of all different things that we can choose from and they're individual and whatever works for you is, is perfect. We've come to the end of the podcast and we usually ask a question about 10 years in the future, if you could meet your future self. I'm really fascinated by younger Anna. She sounds like she was joyous and open and inquisitive. Um, Annoying. Digging up skulls. <laughs> I'd love to know if you could go back and speak to little Anna, younger Anna. Yes. What would you say to her? Here's the thing. When I was little, and this is what I mean sometimes about feeling spiritually connected, however we look at that. I knew when I was seven, my, my friend's mum said to me, do you know what you want to be when you're old? I went, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. I knew that I was going to be on television and I have made that happen. So if I were to go back and look at myself then, I would say, you did it. You did it. You knew that this is where you were going to be and you are. I would say, don't worry. You know, I, I know that you're a jolly little girl and you try and, and people please, but don't be anxious. There's no need to be anxious because actually it's all gonna be okay. And you're the one that can make it okay. Is probably what, what I would, is probably what I would say to her. I'd, I'd hold her hand and tell her that she's loved and she's done okay, kid. That's such a perfect place to finish this conversation. Anna Richardson, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, um, it's been a real pleasure actually, thank you. Thank you for listening to I Am, I Have. Don't forget to head across to habful.com for more great mental health and wellbeing conversations. If you're looking for mental health support, you'll find information on our site, including links to counselling directory and charities. If you need immediate help, you can always call the Samaritans on 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.org 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you do not have to be in crisis to receive their support. Help is available. I'm Lucy Donoghue, the writer, producer, and host of this podcast. Thank you.